0: There are two things that are absolutely true. Grandma loves you, and she would never say no to McDonald's. So treat yourself to a Grandma McFlurry with your order today. It's what Grandma would want. Pa da ba 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 At Participate in McDonald's for a limited time.
1: Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Mama. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. And today, former WCW and WWE announcer Tony Schiavone or Skiavone, as I used to call him, makes his talk as Jericho debut. We're talking all about his days with WCW, his brief one-year stint at WWE. He's talking about why he made the jump to WCW after such a short run with Vince McMahon, how Vince reacted to Tony's leaving, and what led to WCW's decline and an eventual end. Uh, Tony's also talking about why he quit the business cold turkey after WCW, and how he came back into the business through his podcast, What Happened When, with Conrad Thompson. Uh, we love Conrad on the show, obviously. Tony's done a lot of great stories about his early days at Jim Crockett Promotions, Hulk Hogan and the NWO, the Monday Night Wars, his infamous line on TV when Mick Foley was made WWE Champion, and working and traveling with Bobby the Brain Heenan. So let's get to it. Tony Schiavone on Talk is Jericho, starting now. We are here. Right. Uh, so for the first time, I think, in about 20 years... The big reunion of Ski of Own How about that? And Chris Jericho Tony Schiavone is here <laughs> But yeah man 20 years okay. seems As the maid knocks on the door okay. right now I was uh, gone for two hours Waiting for you guys But now I'm doing an interview So you have kept to come back later The real behind the scenes stuff <laughs> But um So yeah Like 20 years I know Since I saw you last Okay well, Let's get this live on, on Okay uh, On the thing <laughs> Hey uh You have to come back later yeah, yeah. Okay. I don't know. I'll, I'll call down. I called down two hours ago okay, and guys never nice came. So, okay, great, thanks. <laughs> All right, life on the road, right? <laughs> exactly, life on the road. Absolutely. But um. Yeah, I think I left WCW ninety nine. Right, and that's literally the last time that I saw you. Right, because and, and then WCW closed in two thousand one, mm-hmm.
2: and I went completely cold turkey on the business.
1: Yeah, I was just going to say because it just seems like recently there's been a big the big return of Tony Schiavone. You have a podcast now, right, and you've right. kind of been doing interviews. And right. What What made you go cold on wrestling, and then what made you want to come back? Well, when
2: WCW went down, I really think. Well, I know that there was no want for me by Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. i had worked for him for, for a year in 89, mm-hmm. right? and I left. I know he was very unhappy when I left, because I think that he thought I was gonna be a big part of his company. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of walked away from it and went back to WCW. It was Jim Crockett Promotions before then, but then it became WCW. Right? He was upset about that, and I don't think he had a grudge. I think that combined with the fact that, Chris, I don't think my work was that great at the end. Mm-hmm. At WCW, I thought I was overhyping. I thought I was overselling. I just, I didn't like my work. So Mm -hmm. he didn't want me. And it was pretty clear. Because I would call, and then I would call Kevin Dunn, and no one would return my call. So pretty much scratched that off. And I didn't want to go the independent route. So I got a job. Actually, I got the, the day that WCW closed, I got a job for a radio station in Atlanta. So I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to reinvent myself. I'm going to just... Walk away from the business. I had a lot of money saved up, and I'm just going to see if I can't land on my feet, which I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're
1: commentating like Braves games and stuff. I
2: do the Braves AAA team, right. uh, which used to be in Richmond. It's now here in Gwinnett County. I, when I first left, I did the the Atlanta Braves pregame and postgame shows on the network. I now work for the Georgia Bulldogs, uh, and I, I'm a producer on their network. So I've got a lot of things going on, and I work for a radio station in Atlanta. Uh, we had you on as, as yeah. a guest just this past week, so I had a lot of things going on, and I just said, you know what? It's a new Tony Shavani, and I'm going to walk away from it. The theory was that I was bitter about the business. It was that was not true. I love the business. I, I grew up loving the business. So for them to for people to say I was bitter about the business was wrong.
1: Well, so. it's, it's like we just mentioned Don Callis before we started talking. It was the same with him. And he worked mm-hmm. WWE. Then he worked a big part of ECW. But then when WCW closed, then ECW closes. And you're not going back to WWE what other recourse do you do but have to go and find something else? Because right. there was only two or three companies to right. work for. Right. So, you know, some guys, I mean, J.J. Dillon's the same one. When, right. when all the the chances dry up, you got to right. still make a living, right? Right.
2: So I didn't want to go to the independent route because right. I had thought and had heard that there were a lot of shady people out there. Mm-hmm. And it seemed to me that if I would just do independent stuff that I was just trying to hang on to my old life. Right. I don't want to be seen as someone just
1: trying to hang on. So what when did you come back to you know get back involved in the business now in 2017
2: 18 Well Conrad Thompson who uh, did a podcast with Ric Flair yeah. uh was doing the the Woo Nation with Ric Flair uh, and Flair decided I guess he didn't want to do it anymore. Mm-hmm. We all know Rick His attention span is one month, right?
1: I think he he figured he was going to make half a million dollars a year on it. Yeah.
2: Right. Reality came in, right? (laughs) Exactly. So as as you know, to do these podcasts, you gotta, you gotta be determined and you gotta do it. Hustle man. Absolutely. Every week. Right. Right. And so that didn't last. Uh, and Conrad, the first of last year, the first of 2017 contacted me and said, would you like to do a podcast? And I said, "Mm, probably not. Uh, and he sent me this email, which was very thorough and very laid out about, you know, you can make some money doing this. And I went, well, okay, well, no one wants to hear what I got to say. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I think you'll be surprised. And uh, our daughter, uh, this was like January uh, January uh, 15th, maybe, our daughter had gotten engaged the Christmas before, and she wanted to get married. And I really want to, because I have four boys and she's my only daughter, I really want to give her a nice wedding because she grew up before boys she grew up in a boy household <laughs> right it's time to do something really nice for her yeah so the time he was right you know extra money for my daughter's wedding my wife Lois said, why not give it a shot and I found out that people did and was interested in some of the things I had to say and some of the stories and some because right now nostalgia is big for kids who grew up in the 90s Back when the the Monday Night Wars, it's really really big. So, what is the concept of your podcast? Because it's called What Happened When. What happened when? The concept is we're really off the we're really off the chain a lot. I mean, I do some really silly stuff. <laughs> uh, I I let people know my personality, which I think you knew it. Most people knew it. It was not really the straight guy. I was <laughs> uh, so I try to be funny and irreverent. And what we've done now, uh, we have been doing most of the time. We will invite fans to go to the network. Uh, and like, for instance, Russell War 91 and hit play with us and oh, we will okay. watch the show together and I will make funny comments and commentary and I will talk over guys doing interviews and things like that. And and we intersperse, you know, stories from back then. Mm-hmm. So it's real different than anybody's interview. We don't we don't interview anybody. We it's just a different do style. Style. Yeah, just it's yeah. It's kind of like. Uh, Mystery Science Theater 3000 doing gotcha, wrestling.
1: Gotcha, gotcha, right. gotcha. But
2: you gotta—you don't have to watch it along with us because you can get some very good information without doing that. Just
1: to hear it, right? Yeah, so it's it's kind of different. Because you were with, with you mentioned Jim Crockett Promotions, which was NWA, right, right? right? And then into WCW. For how many years total with all of
2: them put together? From 93 to 89, I was with Jim Crockett Promotions. Right. A year with Vince. And then from 90 to 2001, I was with WCW.
1: 90 to 2000, 90, to 2000. Wow. How did you get it, it, Had you been involved in the wrestling business before that? Or how did you get involved in, in, Well,
2: I was, was doing baseball for the Crockett family. They owned a baseball team oh. in the eighties in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I was a big fan because I was, that was the area I grew up in the Carolinas in mm-hmm. Virginia. And I was a big fan of wrestling. And as I was doing baseball in the early eighties, I kept telling the Crockett family, I said, let me do wrestling. I'd love to do it. I can do it. And they let me do it. And then like two years later, maybe three, three years later, I was doing wrestling part-time, baseball full-time, and making twice as much part-time in wrestling as I was baseball. (laughs) So they finally said, would you like to do uh, wrestling for us full-time? And I said, sure. And that was when we first started on TBS in
1: 1985. Okay, so when you started, because, because, you know, we'll get into kind of the catalyst of what made the Monday Night War so big, but... When you started with, you said, like, you know, Crockett Promotions in 85, it was kind of the secondary company to to Vince, right? Sure. As as it started rolling. So what kind of shows were you doing? Just Saturday night? Is that what it was? WCW Saturday night it was called?
2: Yeah, well, it was called- Georgia? It was called World Championship Wrestling. Gotcha. We we were doing two shows back then before 1985 when I was working part-time. We were doing uh, Worldwide Wrestling- and we were doing uh, Mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling. Those were the two shows. Mm-hmm. We had two syndicated shows. Then Vince sold his time slot to Jim Crockett in the early part of 1985, and we started doing World Championship Wrestling a- on TBS two hours at 6:05 on Saturday night. Mm-hmm. And we also did a show Saturday mornings called Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would record those on Saturday morning, and. Uh, we will record three hours of TV on Saturday morning and we will record them. And this was really old school stuff. We will record them live to tape. Hmm. There was no editing, no post-production done.
1: Once it's done, Once it, go, it's done. It, it might as well be done. Yeah, exactly.
2: Yeah. It's we, it's on tape and it, it's ready to go. And that's how they did things. It was uh, old school, live to tape. Back Who then. were the big stars at that point in time? Rick Flair, Dusty Rhodes. Dusty was the booker back then. The road warriors were big stars. Michael Hayes, was a big star of ours, uh, Jimmy Garvin, Ron Garvin, hmm. uh, Jim Cornette in the Midnight Express and the Rock and Roll Express, Magnum T.A. right before his injury because he was injured in 86.
1: I mean, that's a hell of a crew that, yeah. that, in, in the Carolinas and in the, in the Georgia area right. drawing big houses. Drawing big houses. And now that we're on TBS, they decided to go
2: national. So we started booking Philadelphia, running Philadelphia, Baltimore, Cincinnati, right. even went out west. Uh, and I would go out west with, uh, and it was pretty good. Uh, it was a pretty good, I, I thought, uh, idea by Jim Crockett that when we would go on tour. Now we were again mostly a Virginia Carolina outfit, but when we go on tour, like out west or somewhere, they would send me as the ring announcer because I was the announcer they saw on TV. So it was mm-hmm. kind of special to see those stars and then see me be the ring announcer as well. So I traveled as a
1: ring announcer for a couple of years with the guys. Did you ever travel on the on the plane? Oh yeah. So what was that like? So Crockett bought a private plane yeah two of them to fly the whole crew
2: back and forth yeah he, he did and it was uh it was creepy it was scary at one time uh i remember this one time we they had the gulf stream which i think carried maybe like uh 15 guys and they had what they called the falcon which was kind of like the uh the big stars plane that jimmy crockett would go on dusty would go on Flair would go on and that was about it the Gulf Stream would be the rest of us. And one time we we dropped an altitude. Big drop. And Jim Cornette screamed like <laughs> as we're going down. And Hawk said, You almost died there. He said, One more, one more scream, and I was gonna just wring your neck. I never forget that because when he screamed, he just freaked us all out. And Cornette has been a, always was a terrible flyer. He hates flying, yeah. Oh, yeah. You yeah. won't
1: fly pretty much really, now. Really, yeah. drives yeah.
2: just about everywhere. Uh yeah, I know. I saw him in Allentown, Pennsylvania. He had driven from Louisville, Kentucky, to Allentown for an autograph signing. <laughs> right. I said, "Man, things don't change." But he shrieked and he screamed, and and Hawk was going to kill him. Uh, but we all drew, uh, flew in the in the Falcon, or or I, I flew in the Falcon some, but most of us uh, in the Gulf Stream. And I guess uh, that was one of the things that really was the downfall of Jim Crockett Promotions because those were so expensive. Mm, right. Those airplanes
1: were just... Seems like such a ridiculously crazy idea to, yeah, to, to not do that. Yeah, I know. You know. I mean, easy way to travel, but lots of money. Yeah, I, 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 I can't see
2: how... And they had one guy running the books, right? Mm. One one book guy. I mean, it's so I mean, as far as one accountant. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was a real small-time mom-and-pop or- organization. It really was. And in reality, it could not compete with Vince.
1: Mm -hmm.
2: And so when uh, they sold to Turner Broadcasting in 89 or at the end of 88, Vince got in touch with me and offered me a job and I went up there and started working him and I walked into Vince's production facility thinking, oh my God. This is how you really do things. This I, is big-time TV. It,
1: when I left WCW to go to WWE, and I always say this with, with the utmost respect because I'm not one of those guys who buries WCW. I really enjoy right. my time there. But it was literally like Wizard of Oz. Yes. Where it's black and white in WCW land, <laughs> right. and then you go to WWE land, and you open the door, and it's color, and it's just... I couldn't believe the difference. I know in professionalism and just the way that it ran as this well-oiled machine. Right. And I thought about, like, for guys like Nash and Hall and those guys, mm-hmm. how how would it be to go back to the black and white? Right, you've been up there. Oh yeah, it, you know. I went back to the black and yeah. white. Well, I, before before we talk about it, what were some of the differences that you noticed when you first went to to Vince? Well, first of all, I noticed that they had post production
2: and they actually edited a show together, hmm. and they had staff. In other words, they had people in place to make it work. I work. I was a producer for the video cassettes back then. Coliseum Videos. I had an assistant and a secretary. <laughs> okay, uh, and we never had that staff at all. Uh, and uh, I, when I, when we did TV, we had backstage pre-production interviews. We never did that. Mm-hmm. We, they had, uh, you know, they would go back and they would. I don't know if they still do this or not. But in the bigger venues, they would build these little sound booths to do to do interviews in the box, the box. And they would do English one, English two. And it was like, it was, it was really the big leagues Mm -hmm. to me. And I thought, man, this is the place to be.
1: Were you on air talent as well?
2: Yeah, I did. Uh, I started doing a wrestling challenge. They had two, uh, I don't know if they still have this or not. They had two syndicated shows, WWF
1: Superstars yeah. and WWF Challenge. They don't, but I remember watching Superstars right. and seeing you right. for a short period of time right. and knowing I, you from the wrestling magazines because yeah. we never got that the right. WCW in Canada. And,
2: and I was I was do, I was was working with Gorilla Monsoon, hmm. and they had me do two pay-per-views. Oh, okay. uh, I did SummerSlam 89 with Jesse Ventura, and I did Royal Rumble 90 with Jesse Ventura. Wow, as
1: the lead commentator. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. First of all, how was it working with Gorilla Monsoon?
2: Wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, one of the great men of all time. Hmm. Uh, Gorilla was Gorilla had been a play-by-play guy until I stepped in, and they moved Gorilla over as a color guy. And he was just so he was so good to me as far as telling me what he thought Vince liked, and how he thought Vince liked his announcers. And he instructed me. He he really did. I, I, uh, I had a lot of affection for him. And, and what type of guy he was just a wonderful guy. So he was great
1: working with him. And cause at that time, Vince was also commentating. Yes. Cause I know he liked to be commentating right. cause he could really, you know, tell the angles that he wanted to tell. Yeah. So to allow you to do, it was kind of a big uh, right. step for, for him.
2: And when, when Vince hired me, he said, I want you to eventually replace me. Mm. I want you to be the guy to come in and do Saturday night's main event. He said, I want you to be our lead announcer. Uh, he said that's what I envisioned for you Hmm. and then I think and Bruce Pritchard was my boss at that time I I think I fell out of favor with Vince Vince according to Bruce thought I had kind of a very southern type twang Mm -hmm. to my voice and he wanted me to work on that there's a rumor out there that he sent me to voice lessons. Diction school? Yeah he did not do that (laughs) but I would have loved that if someone would have paid that for me to go to Cause I am from the South and, and I did work hard on changing my voice throughout the years that never happened, but he, he kind of fell out of favor because I did SummerSlam. I did not do the survivor series. They put gorilla back in there to do survivor series. Mm-hmm. Cause that's back when they just had four pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. So I did SummerSlam of 89. He took me off survivor series of 89 and then Royal rumble in January of 1990 was in Orlando, Florida. And Vince was going to do the commentary Jesse again, second straight pay-per-view where apparently he's lost confidence in me. And he's not going to let me do Mm pay-per-view. Not going to let me do Royal Rumble. We were in Orlando, Florida, and we had scheduled a a noon production meeting in Orlando at the, at the old Orlando arena. And Vince was late and he had been down in Boca. He and his family and his friends have been down in Boca having a great weekend. So they were late. The production meeting ended up beginning like at one thirty or 2 o'clock. And I never will forget, he walked in, he sat down at the table, and he, he said, I don't want to do this today. He looked at me, he said, you got your tux? I said, yes, sir. He said, you're doing play-by-play with Jesse. Hmm. So just because he had had such a, <laughs> such a bang up weekend at, at Boca, right. uh, he didn't want to do the commentary. So I did the commentary for the Royal rumble and that began the Hogan warrior angle kind of leading to WrestleMania six.
1: Wow. And yeah. you were the voice of that. I forgot about that. Yeah. I was like working with Jesse. Uh, oh, Great. Just, he's still probably, well, you had, and we'll talk about the brain too. Yeah. You had probably sure. two best color commentators yeah. of all time. I've been fortunate. Yeah. Working with both of them as right. almost their straight man in a right. lot of
2: ways. I was really starstruck with both of them, mm-hmm. and especially Jesse because I had watched Saturday Night's main event and watched some of the stuff that he did, and I just felt uh, really starstruck, you know, working with him. And uh,
1: he was almost the the prototype for the the heel commentary oh, yeah. that they still try and do to this day. Exactly, he he was he was the
2: man. He mm. he absolutely was. And uh, you know, if you you go back and I when I worked for events, I had a chance to do this work going back in the library. And looking at the old saturday night's main event that he uh, that was some classic great stuff that they did back then so being able to work with him and then of course jesse came to wcw uh later in in the 90s and i was able to work with him on pay-per-views there too so yeah it was great you know i i i often uh joke about the fact that when jesse and i were working together in wcw we'd travel together and uh we'd fly somewhere and i get a car and and I often joke about I was the chauffeur for the governor of Minnesota, long
1: before he really had a chauffeur. <laughs> yeah, no uh, kidding, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, but is, is something I want to ask you because you were, you know, at the desk for this huge period of wrestling that had some of the biggest stars of all time, right? You know, including like when you're talking WCW. I say WCW. I know it was Jim Crocker promotions. But, sure. Um, just using that as a blanket term, the biggest babyface was Dusty, or yes. Who, and then obviously you're talking about Hogan in WWE, what was the difference between the two pops in the in the arenas? Oh was there
2: was I still say today and, and people ask me this, uh, what's the biggest what's the biggest day of wrestling that you've ever called, the biggest event you've ever called? And and I did SummerSlam and like I said I did Royal Rumble. But still to me the biggest day that I've ever had in wrestling was when I first called a match at Madison Square Garden mm. was Hogan and Boss Man in the cage and lord Alfred hayes and i did the msg broadcast and i had been you know i had been on some big events with jim crockett but that was an experience like none other mm. and we we did the broadcast and hogan did the superplex off the top of the cage with the boss man and then we got into a charter and flew to boston and that night did the boston garden on uh, on Nesson sports network That's, to me, the greatest day I've ever had in wrestling. still is, and I've done a lot of big events. Uh, But there was nothing like Hogan and and the babyface run that he has. I mean, there was nothing like it.
1: It was like... uh, Because I I was in the ring with him in 2002. I worked with him for about six months. Right. Uh, And and obviously, it's 15 years down the line from the peak. Right. But even so, Hogan coming out got a reaction that was rivaling you know, the rock at the time or whoever you want to put in that position. I can just imagine what he must've been like in the eighties, 89 or
2: so. Yeah. And you know, I I was, I was very, I was, he followed wrestling. He followed me with Jim Crockett promotions and he was very, very nice to me when I first uh, came to the WWF. Uh, It's something I'll never forget because Mm -hmm. he was the biggest star. We happened to have uh, I upgraded one time and we sat on a flight together to Arizona and talked for a long time and I got to know him Mm Mm-hmm. But but just doing that match in Madison Square Garden and and seeing Hulkamania, you know, and we would do TV, we would go out and do Superstars or Challenge or whatever, and they wouldn't bring out Hogan until the end of the night, and the fans would wait on him, mm-hmm. you know, a long long time.
1: And, he, and his matches were never on TV either. Right, it was yeah, the, dark the dark match, dark match the yeah. final match that yeah. you would
2: come to see. Yeah, right. So it was. Uh, it was quite an era. What and led you going back to, to WCW then? Well, it was a, a lot of things. Okay. Uh, I had told Vince that I was in for the long haul, and I really thought I was. Our children were, we had five children, and the oldest was five of five wow. children. Okay, oh, so <laughs> You guys were busy. <laughs> you, you're not kidding. We were busy. So we, uh, we needed a house for five children, and we could not f- afford a house in Connecticut. Super expensive. Right? Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, so we were renting a house, and I was really having... St- uh, struggling making ends meet, but I was still making pretty decent money. Mm-hmm. I didn't have enough for a down payment for a house. Uh, and my wife was pretty miserable, but she was the type of, and his type of person is says, you know, we'll stick it out if you want. And so it wasn't right for my family. And, uh, Jim Barnett called me. I don't know how he found my number, called me on my house phone and said, we'd like to talk to you. So I went to New York city and met them at the uh, Grand Hyatt uh, he and Jim heard at the Grand Hyatt and they offered me not double what uh, what, but close. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't turn that down. I absolutely could not turn that money down and, and moving back to the South, being able to buy a house. Gotcha. Uh, and so it was kind of a, uh, it was just a financial decision that I had to make. And you uh, felt
1: Vince, Vince was not happy with it.
2: Oh, he was really angry at yeah. first. Yeah. And, and then when I went into his office like a week later, or maybe two weeks later to sign, you know, the waiver, you know, my release. release. He was very nice to me then. Doors always open for you to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we parted on very good terms. But the day that I announced
1: that I was leaving, he was very, very unhappy. Let's talk path. about about WCW when, when it started becoming a viable contender because, you know, those early 90s were some rough years for WCW and actually for, for Vince too. It wasn't super hot, but suddenly, you know, tell us what it was like when Eric Bischoff took over yeah well and the vision that he had.
2: Eric took over. Uh, there were three of us in the running to take over the company. Really? Thing. Yeah. Three
1: of us. <laughs> meaning yourself. Right. Yeah.
2: Wow. Me, uh,
1: Keith Mitchell. And Eric Bischoff, no Keith as well. Yeah, Keith is a, a longtime director, right? For for Nitro, right? And kind of uh, the Kevin th- Dunn of WCW. I, th- I think he he's been working for Impact too. Okay, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Right. Yeah,
2: uh, Eric really wanted the job. I really didn't. <laughs> I uh, there's there's also uh, on the internet that Tony really wanted the job. Even Kevin Sullivan said Shivani was heartbroken. when He didn't get the job. I wasn't because. Chris, I never thought WCW was in it for the long haul. Mm-hmm. I, I just did not see. I didn't. And I, we were hot at one time. But when Eric was vying for the job and we were, Bill Watts had left, I really didn't see any future in it. Mm-hmm. Of course, Eric gave it a future. Sure you know, did, yeah. Because that's pre-Hogan,
1: pre-NWO. Exactly. You
2: know. Exactly. Right. Uh, we were doing some good things, but I, I, I just didn't think that I could turn it around. Bill Shaw, who was the... Uh, the guy at Turner broadcasting who everybody answered to had told me, he said, I've got a proposal from Eric and i got a proposal from Keith Mitchell. I haven't heard from you yet. I said, okay. So I typed up something like five or six pages or whatever. And what was, said, what in. was your proposal? I can't even, I can't <laughs> even remember. <laughs> My proposal is I'll take a five year, no cut contract and I'm out of here. <laughs> uh, and, and Eric got it cause he really wanted it. And, and Eric and I were very good friends. So he had he had ideas in place. He really had ideas in place. And I remember him telling me that he's got a big idea that he thinks will really jumpstart this company if Turner will go for it. Mm-hmm. And what that eventually was, was offering Hulk Hogan a contract where he has full control over his character or full control over what he does.
1: Right, and then the huge uh, percentage of pay-per-view buy rates and exactly. basically the yeah. keys to the company. Yeah, exactly. So... Yeah. But the the key was that he he could
2: offer Hogan what Vince could not offer him and would not offer him, and that is full control, creative over control, creative control. Wow! And, uh, and, and I didn't know he was talking about Hogan, but I knew he had something big in mind. So of course it was Hogan.
1: What, what, you mentioned if Turner would go for it. It was. You mean the Turner execs or Ted Turner himself? Uh, uh, I'm thinking the Turner execs. Mm-hmm. Ted was really hands-off. Yeah, yeah, I never... I mean, right. not that I would have seen him. I'm right. just a low-life guy. But right. I mean, did you ever see him around at all? Did uh, he you ever come to the shows? Never came to the
2: shows. That's he right. met with us as a company... Christmas time in 1991 mm-hmm. or 92, just like uh, we went to the Omni Hotel at a ballroom. He came in. Uh, and <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Smiling wave. Smiling wave. <laughs> yeah. and, and he said, I know we're losing money. He said, but, you know, hell, uh, CNN lost money all these years. So we're, we're hanging with this. Don't worry about it. And everybody mm. clapped. And I never will forget that Big Van Vader said, Mr. Turner, could I have your autograph? I'm thinking. <laughs> Come on, Leon! Couldn't <laughs> be such a big baby. I mean, he was like a little kid. Mr. Turner, could I have your autograph? Uh, so that was the only time we we saw him. The mm-hmm. only time. Now I'm I'm sure that that Eric and Bill Shaw had contact with him. Sure, right. But he was more when like you a get bigger. to
1: that level, there's a l- probably, you know, 30 or 40 different companies or, you know, legs of his business that he's dealing with. Right. You yeah,
2: know? exactly.
1: What was the impact when Hogan first came in? Was it was it big or because he was kind of a little bit uh, like people weren't as crazy for him at first or, or maybe as, as the time went on, from what I recall?
2: Well, I, I think that there's no question that it put a lot of attention on on us. Mm hmm. There's no question that if you go back and look at what we were doing business-wise, buy rates and and gate receipts before Hogan and after Hogan, it really ticked up. I don't think there was any question. Because it was a huge coup at the time. I mean, Hulk was still very right. very big, very popular. Right. And we and we got the match that everybody wanted, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan. The match that Vince never did. That's exactly as crazy right. crazy as it sounds, right? Exactly. So we did it in Bash at the Beach in 1994. Uh, we got uh, Shaquille O'Neal to walk out with Hulk. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, I did the play-by-play. That day I did half the show with Jesse and half the show with Bobby the Brain Enid. Mm-hmm. And it was it was a sign of really things to come mm. for us, I thought, uh, to a certain extent. I always held, had this on the back of the mind, and now you were talking about Ted Turner. The difference is that there was Vince, and it was his money, and it was his company, and he was the the buck stopped there. With Turner Broadcasting, you never knew
1: where the buck stopped. That's a great point. Yeah. Remember these the nickname was was ATM Eric. Yeah. The Bischoff, you know, because he would always even say, like, it's not my money. Right. You know, I'll, I'll yeah. give you this. It's not my money. Sure. Whereas with Vince, it's every penny's his money.
2: You damn right. And so it's much different. Right. Any any of us who've been in business and who've worked in the business knows when it's your money, it's so much different. So that's where I, and that was one of the things when when I go back and think about Tony Schiavone running the company, nah, it wasn't going to happen. Mm-hmm. It really wasn't going to happen.
1: Because even knowing who the boss is, I mean, in WCW, once again, the Wizard of Oz theory, like yeah. coming into to, to WWE 99 you know who the boss is for every single aspect, and to this day. Yes. I remember we had a, a, an app for a while, and you had to do these 30-second app things, and Vince mm-hmm. would still want to approve it. Mm-hmm. Whereas WCW is it Eric? Is it Hulk? Is it Kevin yeah. and Scott? Is it, you know, right. Macho Man? Is it Sullivan? Who's right. who's calling the shots? Right. And in some cases, everybody Exactly. Was, exactly. You know? it,
2: and it, it was a mess. It yeah. was a mess. Even before that, I'll tell you a very short story about my transition back to WCW mm-hmm. or out of the WWF. Right. I left and I really didn't, I really didn't want to professionally, but as I said, I had to. Yeah. I came back And my first day in, they took me down. They said, "Well, we got this new production facility here at here at the CNN Center. We want you to take a look at it." And it was like, (laughs) to me, it looked like a closet. Okay, (laughs) all right. I was so miserable. I my very first day back, I called Vince. Emily, yes, Emily Feinberg was his secretary, (laughs) and I said, "Emily, uh, I, I need to talk to Vince." She said, "What's wrong?" I said, "I want to come back." Wow, she said. What I said. I have made a big mistake. I said this place is this place is just not going to last. And I said, I. She said, Well, I'll I'll talk to Vince. Mm-hmm. And she called me back and she said, Vince said, you got all those small kids. You just moved your family. We were living in Charlotte when we worked for the Crockets. You just moved your family from Charlotte to Connecticut, and now Connecticut to Atlanta. A year later, he says, keep your family there and stay there and make it work.
1: <laughs>
2: but I was miserable. My wife can tell you that I cried. I just sit on the couch and cried, thinking that my life has come to wow. an end. Yeah, it was terrible at first. Just absolutely terrible.
0: Treat Dad to the good stuff at Nordstrom Rack and save big. Father's Day is Sunday, June 16th, and Nordstrom Rack's got gifts Dad will love up to 60% off. Shirts, activewear, watches, cologne, denim, and more. Find amazing deals on Tommy Bahama. Cole Haan, Original Penguin, and Vince. Great brands, great prices. So get to your Nordstrom Rack store now and make Dad's Day with gifts up to 60% off.
1: Let's talk about when WCW started getting really high. Okay. And I think probably the, the caveat was the NWO. Sure. To, to me, it's, I'll explain in a second... Because to me it was always the NWO, but I also think it was the advent of of the quote unquote cruiserweight style, sure. meaning guys who could really work. That's right. You know, I mean, to this day, Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns is cruiserweight style, if that's what you call it. Because, right. But but when you're talking about the NWO and the whole concept of it, how much of it was a secret to you guys? Like were they? Because Eric had a a tendency to try and work the boys mm-hmm. and and you guys calling it as well. Were you mm-hmm. guys in
2: on this? Did you? Know you talking about when Hulk Hogan turned? What's that you talk about
1: when Hulk Hogan yeah, turned we'll heel just, when you knew Hall and Nash were coming in, right? Right, right, that was the whole big impetus for right. it. But talking about Hulk turning heel and just yeah. the whole concept of the beginning of the NW, well,
2: it first started when uh, when Scott Hall walked in mm-hmm. on one of our broadcasts, didn't know that you didn't know he was no. coming, didn't know he was coming in. So, what are you thinking when you see Scott Hall? I, I'm thinking, well, now of course, we have Hogan now, right? He's yeah. been with us for a little while. I'm thinking, well, you know, the shit's on now, yeah, yeah because yeah. you know, this guy's and, and even before that, if you'll recall. They had Luger on the first Nitro. Right. Right. And he, I even think, and the same same thing happened with Rick Rude. I mean, they just pulled these guys away. Medusa. Medusa. They, throwing the belt in the trash. Right, right. right yeah. But when, when Hall walked in, who was Razor Ramon, who was a big star, I'm thinking, you know. Shit's on. Shit's on. Right. And it really was. And then, of course, Kevin Nash came on. And, and, and I was not doing commentary at that time. Were you doing like more backstage interview? more backstage interviews or, and stuff like because yeah. Eric was doing Nitro back mm-hmm. then he I didn't start doing Nitro until Eric turned heel right and became a part of the NWO mm-hmm. but that was like we, we never never knew that was happening mm-hmm. and now when Hogan turned heel that was quite a day because we had heard so much so many different things there was that, a rumor
1: that you knew there was going to be a third guy mm-hmm. there but there was, no one knew who it no. was yeah. I mean we I we thought Bret Hart mm-hmm. uh. We we thought maybe
2: Hogan, or you, you thought maybe yeah Hogan. yeah because you heard so much. I mean I, I think I think they threw the rumors around backstage just to try to throw you off red base. herrings <laughs> exactly <Yeah. laughs> to throw you off base. So if you go back and watch that uh, when he walks out, he walks out in his you know his regular Hulk Hogan stuff yellow and red. And, and I was like I remember walking out thinking, is it him or is he going to clean house or you know what's he going to do. And I and I didn't know. And then, of course, when he started his, which will go down as one of the great heel turn promos ever. Yeah. Then we realized, you know, it was that. So they really kept us in the dark. So you're calling calling it for real, right. natural reaction. Exactly. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Natural reaction. Had no idea what was what was happening, and I was I was pretty shocked hmm. because we're talking about the biggest baby
1: face in the business turning heel. Yeah. Yeah. For basically the first time ever. Right. Exactly. But, and also, but the thing I loved about Hulk, and this is something when when you know the Flair versus Hogan debate, and listen, Flair, you can't say enough about him. But for me, I worked with Hulk as a babyface and Flair as a babyface, mm-hmm. and Flair is not a good babyface, whereas Hulk is Hulk. Right. But Hulk was also a great heel as oh, well. Yes, he was. He really knew how to play that character, right. and he embraced it. Right. And he made it work. He made the whole NWO
2: work. Right. He said during the interview, and I've seen it a couple of times since then and this was great ad lib he said uh fans if you'll recall it's it's a very big deal fans very well known in wrestling fans started throwing trash into the ring i don't know if that was planned or not you know you never know (laughs) they always try to work (laughs) you. uh fans started throwing uh, trash in the ring and hulk hogan says i feel like you fans are just like this trash here and i thought that was that was such a great ad lib
1: it was such a great heel ad lib uh, and, and he uh, also said the fan, you fans can go to hell. Yeah. Like Hulk Hogan, they'd eat your, or eat your vitamins and yeah. say your prayers yeah. and drink your milk, telling you to go to hell. Right. Exactly. Like, oh my gosh, Right. Exactly. I was in the business and it still like, yeah, made me feel yeah. strange. Right. right. Yeah.
2: And then I said, I said at the end of it, I said, Hulk Hogan can go straight to hell. Oh, you said, yeah. yeah. At, at the end of it. And yeah. that was a line that, that I didn't, they didn't give it to me because mm-hmm. I was trying to think, man, I got this great super hero superhero. Right. Eastern. What can I say? So, yeah. So that's what I said at the end of The it. So Classic the, line. The yeah. class, so it was it was a lot of uh, it was it was a memorable night. I mean, and uh, and it started things right. It started mm-hmm. it started the NWO run,
1: which which was just blew the, the whole right. doors off. But but
2: but I, I kind of think they, I, you know, you, I mean, here we're sitting in 2018 and everybody does armchair quarterbacking. Right. I think they really watered it down a lot in efforts to make it big. As far as uh,
1: adding too many guys. Yeah, too many
2: guys who really. Hey, listen, it's, it's not a slap on on Mike Jones. It's not a slap on Buff Bagwell. And <laughs> Mike or, Jones, a.k.a. Virgil. <laughs> right. When Virgil
1: got in the NWO, you're like, okay. Yeah, I'm thinking, yeah. <laughs> they didn't run his ass
2: out and I think, what's going on here? Okay. <laughs> right, right, right and, right, and Scott Scott Norton, you know, those guys were good competitors, but they weren't up there with Hogan and Nash and Hall or the macho man, Randy Savage. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, it watered it down and. And then it became what it became. But you were talking about the cruiserweight division, mm-hmm. and, and that was another thing too. You know, with uh, yourself and Malenko and and Rey Mysterio and it, it was just Eddie and Benoit and, oh and movie and like all those guys. We go back and watch some of those old tapes, Chris, and it's
1: amazing the talent that we had. Mm-hmm. Absolutely amazing. Yeah, just. I think I always say like you know at the time not not always say it's not a revolutionary thing but that WWE had had great main events Mm -hmm. but the undercard was not good right we had a great undercard right and even though the main events weren't good they were always you know it's Piper versus Flair it's Hogan you know but most of those matches were not good no you're right but the undercard was enough to go like. Shit. Well, the main event sucked, right? But the undercard was great. Exactly. The main event got all the got all the steam and all the credit for it.
2: Exactly. You're right. You're right because the main event was based on notoriety. Mm -hmm. Everybody knew Piper. Everybody knew Hogan. Everybody knew Flair. They were the big established stars. But we could open up a show, you know, with some great stuff for sure. Yeah. And 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 that's and that's what we didn't have. I was just watching Wrestle War ninety one. This is before. NWM before all the cruiserweights. The opening match on Russell War 91 was Ricky Morton, Tommy Rich, and the Junkyard Dog (laughs) against the State Patrol. And <laughs> and big cat Curtis Hughes, right? That was the opening match. Now compare that to like Chris Jericho and Juventud Guerrero, <laughs> right? right? I mean, Are you no- kicking off
1: your show better, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's
2: a great way to kick off a show, and you open up the show, thinking, "Man, we're on, we're we're on our way now." Mm-hmm. So yeah, it 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 was that was that was a great time for us.
1: Did you like um when you're talking about commentating for Vince? I know he's in the ears of the commentators now. Yeah um was he then no oh okay thank god <laughs> i mean i've heard stories yeah. you
2: know uh bruce pritchard was in my ear
1: okay but somebody was in your ear yes because wwe had the gorilla position right which was kind of the control center yeah wcw did not no there was a curtain yeah and then 20 feet down the hall would be <laughs> jody hamilton with right. a stopwatch and a microphone <laughs> <Five> minutes. <laughs> right. sitting at a basically like a church wooden table yeah i know that you yeah. would like put somebody through nowadays.
2: Exactly. <laughs> that was that was it. That was it. Yeah. yeah. That's another great d- Unbelievable just yeah. to think that that was how it was.
1: Yeah. I know.
2: Uh but Bruce was at the gorilla position I believe and talking in my ear. And we never had that in WCW and, until after you left. Mm-hmm. In like 2000, 2001, they would put Terry Taylor in my ear. Okay. Which was a, a train wreck. Yeah. Because Terry, to his credit, was trying to do a lot. And he would say, he would have the headset on, he'd be listening to me. And then somebody would come about their match, he'd take the headset off and talk to a guy about their match, right? Mm. And then he'd put the headset on and he'd tell, give me a line that I had just said. <laughs> <Yeah>. Okay. <laughs> and I would, we'd go to a commercial <laughs> break, I said, Terry, put Terry on headset. <laughs> I said, I'll say anything you want me to say, but damn it. Listen to my commentary, <laughs> right, 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 yeah. right. So that it it never worked the way it worked with Bruce and me, and of course now I guess Vince does it now with the guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm glad I am glad I missed that because <laughs> yeah. I, I understand it it can be pretty brutal.
1: Were you like in the production meetings? Uh, for, like, did we have production meetings? For oh that yeah. Show? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, right. We especially had production meetings when Vince Russo arrived. They were they were more like the Vince McMahon production Well, because he
1: had come straight from WWE, exactly. right? Yeah. Exactly.
2: And, and he laid out the whole show, and all of a sudden I'm thinking, wow, this is the way to do things. This is how I remember 1989, you know, mm-hmm. the guy running the production meeting and a guy knowing what he wants. Before then, we would have production meetings, but we would just kind of read down the show. Right, right. And it wasn't, it wasn't really anything detailed. And I can't remember the years, but it had to be – 98, 99, especially 99, and 2000, where we would have production meetings, and then they would change everything. Mm-hmm. And I understand, look, I understand that's the way all entertainment is. I know that in Hollywood, they have rewrites all the time, right? So things change on the fly. But we would, we would have so many changes that there were many Nitros that I started the show without a format. I remember. Yeah, because
1: they, they pulled them back from me. And I remember one time they put Big Boss Man mm-hmm. and Psychosis uh-huh. out for three segments uh-huh. to start the show right. because they were still writing it. Exactly. Yeah, they would yeah. change or Hogan wouldn't like something right. or, once again, full creative control on exactly. his stuff. Right. And probably everybody else's too if he wants there to be. Exactly. But exactly three segments as they're furiously writing the show and exactly. you
2: guys are there commentating We're it. doing the commentating. We don't know what to say, where to go, what, mm-hmm. what to promote right. coming up. And then... They would have a net bring out like a segment, segment four or segment, and sometimes she would bring them out segment by segment. Wow! By segment. Really? Yeah,
1: yeah, that happened a lot. So, I mean, so it it and this is live TV. It's live, just TV. so people understand. There's there's five, six, seven, eight million people watching the right, show. Right. That's being written segment by segment. Yeah. So it was uh, it was a challenge. I I relished
2: the challenge, mm-hmm. you know, of trying to you know you do it on it the fly. Yeah, yeah you got to do it on the fly. You got to try to. Make it, see, But it, the more disorganized it got in the backstage, I think you could see that on TV. Mm-hmm. I really do. Three segments of a match, right? Right, for sure. Right. What was it like working with, uh, with Bobby the Brain, Enon? Uh, Bobby was tremendous. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Bobby and I had a big blow up. But prior to that, uh, he and I were pretty good friends. And uh, we traveled. He was so hilarious on the road. Hmm. I mean, he always did practical jokes to make everybody laugh on the road. Got any examples? Yes.
1: (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Why, yes, I do. (laughs) Uh,
2: We had a show in uh, Pensacola, Florida, uh, and I can't remember the time. I don't know if you were with us at that time or not, but we had a show in Pensacola, Florida, and we always tried to the very next day. Heenan was like this. Tanay was like this. I was like this. Lee Marshall. We all try to take the very first flight out the next day.
1: Yeah, as early as you can get it you can, Just
2: get out of town. And this was back before before they put the the folio under your door and you could just walk, okay? Mm. You had to go and check out Mm. at the front desk. So we're talking about four in the morning, okay? A line of people (laughs) at the front desk at the hotel in (laughs) Pensacola, right? And there's one person working and we're all, you know, man, we need to get going. Uh Got to catch the flight and everybody's checking out. And there's this guy who is buffing the floor in the lobby. So he had plugged in his orange extension cord right underneath the desk. There was a uh, outlet there. He he plugged it right there as we walk up. And Heenan says, watch this. So the, the cord was stretched across. Heenan, unbeknownst to anybody but me, okay took the cord as as we're in line to slowly and wrapped it around his left foot okay uh-huh. so now as he steps towards the front okay he trips and falls down and yanks the cord the buff co- buffer comes right out of the guy's hand comes <laughs> sliding towards him and he and gets up he said oh i'm sorry he's apologizing and now he unplugs the cord and he He pulls it's I mean we're all watching this this all these Pratfalls and everything. He pulls it off his leg and he's got it now and now it's like a now it's like a python. Okay. He's fighting with the cord, you're trying to wrap it up for the guy. Oh, I'm so sorry. And finally just throws it down and he looks at the lady in the front desk. He says, I'm sorry, it was a it was a long night for us last night. And as he steps forward now, OK, after fighting all this, he trips again. And they've got these, you know, these uh, uh, brochures and placards, you know, and he he knocks all those down. OK. And this was all this was all like at four o'clock in the morning and everybody's like dying. And the people who worked there thought, you know, this is this poor soul was just a clumsy oaf but that's that's just so that's the way he did i mean he was he
1: was he was performing for all of us right right yeah. right exactly yeah. Yeah. yeah and just once again just such a great uh on the spot guy with his one-liners oh. it's it's funny to watch after he passed away i went back and just watched a couple random nitros yes. just to hear him talking yeah and you guys had great chemistry yeah. together well we really liked, we really enjoyed each other yeah really yeah, yeah
2: you yeah. said you had a blow up with them yeah i had a I had a it was a it was a terrible blow up that was my fault oh. uh uh, unfortunately uh as we went along uh eric put craig leathers in charge of production i don't know if you remember craig or yeah, not I do. yeah and craig put me in charge of the announcers I and mean, we had announced quotating craig. it yeah quote Quotation quotes mode. flying quotes which basically meant that as an announcer you had to i had to sign off on of your expense reports that's all gotcha. it was okay right. and they wanted me to do in the corporate world they wanted me to do uh Sit down and talk to him about you know do evaluations, which was BS. And I always just wrote the evaluations, rubber it stamped it. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So uh, they they stopped using Heen, and I, I guess he and I guess he kind of fell out of favor with Eric. I'm not so sure. Well,
1: he started phoning it in big time too towards the end. I think right. he lost a lot of interest in what was going on. Exactly. So they started
2: using him doing the syndicated shows. And one day I was home, I wasn't in the office, and and uh, uh, Craig Leathers called me. And he says, we've just fired Heenan. Mm-hmm. And I was like, same with you, same my thing, God. what?
1: Yeah.
2: Uh, so I guess as the guy who's in charge of the announcers, you want me to call him? He said, no. He said, I've called him. I've talked to him. But I'm calling you to tell you that he has threatened a lawsuit. Mm. So I'm, tell- I'm calling you as your supervisor to tell you to have no contact with him. Mm. So me being the good uh, employee, corporate boy, right? yeah. yeah, I just said, okay. Hmm. I should have told Craig, yeah, you know what? I won't talk to him and I should have called him immediately Yeah, because we were friends. That yeah. that was the, the thing that should have been done. Never did it, never called him, never talked to him. Hmm. And it really pissed him off.
1: Oh, I'm sure, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. yeah. Re- really angry. As a matter of fact, Lois and I showed up at uh, a place in uh, Roswell, Georgia for, and I don't know what year this was, this was right after it happened for a new year's eve dinner and he he and cindy were there with mike dene and mike's wife and uh when he had found out i was there he came up to the bar the other side of the bar and just stared at me wow for like for like i don't know 20 minutes Mm. and lois and i were waiting on our table and i told lois i said let's go Mm -hmm. so he was really really angry at me and i guess it led to him saying a lot of things about me uh in his book, I never read his book or mm. online, and and I didn't right. see any of that. But it was my fault. It really was. I, I did the wrong thing. Yeah. I should have. You I should, should have just. Should have called him. He was right, my right. friend, right? Right. Yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. We uh we finally in two thousand and three, uh, we finally uh, worked together on a video uh, cassette. I'm not a video cassette. A video game for a claim, and we were in Cincinnati, and you know he was getting sick at that time. Uh, and he had trouble talking. Uh, and he and I talked for about an hour, and really made up, oh, that's shook hands, cool. and uh, and then he got real sick, and I and I and he said and he told me he said call me, and I'm just terrible about not calling people, and I didn't call him. Mm-hmm. So, so we we did kind of you know make up, but the split w- was my fault because I was such a dumbass. Right, right, right.
1: I, I should have never done that. Well, just doing what your supervisor. Yeah,
2: said I was, yeah. Do, right? I mean that's the excuse I'm sure, but
1: mm-hmm. you know. When you talk about um, uh, Vince Russo, and when he came into WCW, it was a big deal because yeah. he basically just walked out of WWE and right. went straight into into WCW. And I think a lot of people were thinking, "Oh my gosh, like this is this is it, another WCW kind of takeover." Right. But it kind of didn't work out that way. No, too much. No. What, why do you think that was? Because he
2: uh, he started to do with us things that he was doing in the WWF. And I think that we became WWF light. We were we were trying to do this. We were trying to to do the same type of TV that he had done there, and the fans had seen there, and they'd done that. I I I always thought that we should be something completely different mm-hmm. than a WWF. And I think we were trying to be too similar than to them. Right. They had China. You we had Asia. Asia. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, yeah. so it was just uh, just silly stuff that that I think just didn't work for the WCW fans. I, I always thought that we were, we were different mm-hmm. and that's why we were, we were good at one time, but, and listen, I, I like Vince a lot. I, I really got along with him, but uh, we were a, a knockoff. Is that why you think WCW basically ended up going out of business? Well, combination of things. Uh, uh, first of all, uh, they didn't want us. Mm-hmm. The, the the new boy, you the know, television when, once Ted, once Ted Turner started selling off or, you know right got moved out you know i i knew that writing was on the wall once that turner was out of there
1: yeah so because because yeah once he because he had made a a, a a proclamation so to speak yeah that as long as he was in charge wrestling would stay on the station exactly and, and then suddenly he's not in charge anymore right, right? And, and then uh, you know they're sold to time warner then aol and
2: time water merge or whatever mm-hmm. and they have this guy named jamie kellner who's in charge and he doesn't like wrestling at all and announces that wrestling is going to be taken off Turner Broadcasting, and hmm. you know he's the he's the genius that sold the library for three million dollars. Right. That that Vince probably made three million dollars in one day on.
1: I, that's I said if I would have known. Yeah. Like I'm not you know a billionaire, <laughs> but right. I would have found three million dollars to buy that library to buy it if i had to put yeah. everything i had together right i might have been able to come close and borrow a couple bucks here and there exactly it's because you had three million dollars uh-huh. and i'd even heard two and a half at one point right. oh wow okay and you're like for that entire library right
2: unbelievable i know you know and there's stuff they got now they still haven't put on the network they mm. just put a mid Atlantic Championship Wrestling on the network. They got worldwide wrestling. They got Thunder. They haven't put on the network. They've got so much stuff that they haven't put on the network that keeps the network fresh all the sure, time. Sure, sure, sure. So anyway, so it, it was a combination of uh, of that and a combination of really Turner not wanting us. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, it's Vince's company and it's Turner's company and different. Turner wasn't doing wrestling.
1: What uh, do you think was the peak of WCW? The peak of WCW probably was. Uh, Starcade
2: of '97, or uh, is that Hogan versus Hogan Sting, and the Hogan Sting rematch at uh, Super Brawl the following year. Mm -hmm. We were really really hot. I mean, we were selling out and and we were doing a lot of things and and then of course it started to decline after that. It started going downhill. You know, around the end of '98 through '99. And then 2000, 2001, we were just hanging on. Well, if you're talking
1: about that 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 starcade, that's when they kind of had the, the wonky finish, too, with the fast count that wasn't fast. Not at all. From Nick I Patrick. Know. And and I'm know. supposed to pretend
2: it's the fast count.
1: Yeah, that, that, that kind of makes you look stupid. Yeah. And that's kind of your job at times. Right, to look stupid. Right.
2: <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, <laughs> what, know. That was a fast count. It, no, it wasn't a fast count.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And that was kind of the end of Sting's ascension after a year right. buildup because of that,
2: right? And then of course they had Sting get the title uh, back at Super Brawl uh, the following year, and they were just, yeah,
1: they were they were trying, they really were,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but. Uh, well, you know, it's interesting too because you talk about you know looking stupid, and it's the famous quote when when. The uh, Raw was doing the tape show with McFoley, right? You know, yeah, I mean, Foley's going to win the championship, right? What did you think about that? I'm sure you've been asked this a thousand times. Yeah, but sure. I've never asked you before, right? Kind of tell the whole story well, about that night.
2: Well, the, the the misconception is that Eric told me to say that,
1: which he did not. Oh wow. Okay. And and what he told you to say, or they think, what did you say? Okay, here's what what
2: happened was that night was Eric sent Annette out, Annette Yoder, who was like the uh, format girl. And yeah. And she was she became at that time when Eric when when Annette would come out, I knew it was something.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I knew it was something from message.
1: Eric, a, this is a big message, like a Game of Thrones raven.
2: <laughs> <laughs> exactly, right. exactly. The raven lands, yeah. and yeah. so when she she came out that night, and we were in a commercial break, so I take the headset off. She said, uh, "The WWF is I don't know," if she said, "Either are getting ready to I guess uh, giving the their belt." To Cactus. Right. Eric wants you to really shit on it. Hmm. I said, what do you mean really shit on it? She said, you need to say something about how stupid it is for he becoming the world champion. I said, I know when you come out, it's something special. But are you sure he wants me to do that? Hmm -hmm. Because Eric always, Eric and I had a different vision about things. I always thought we should ignore what the WWF did. He didn't. He always thought we should jab him right right, right right right. so she said no that's what he wants you to do so i came up with butts in the seats mm-hmm. it was my line when i was told to really shit on him and of course now that's a famous line and i'm honored that a lot of people think that i'm the one that changed the business <laughs> yeah right uh, <laughs> uh, but uh yeah i said that and then of course mick uh well, you're, 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 you're putting eyeballs onto the product rather sure than we are. anything else, right? Yeah, absolutely. We're. I mean, I mean look, if uh, if I know a world title is going to switch, I'm going to tune it Yeah, right? you're going to watch and see. You're going to watch and see, absolutely. So I, I knew it was the wrong thing to do, but I'm also the type of guy that if you tell me to do it, I'll do it. Right? Well, once again, as we've heard, right, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so look, I'm I'm great friends with JR. I love him. And mm-hmm. he and I still still stay in contact. I don't know if he said this afterwards or not. If Jr. says, I wouldn't have said it. You know, yeah, bullshit. <laughs> yeah, of course <laughs> <Okay>? not. <laughs> right, absolutely. Yeah, you think yeah. about all the stuff that Jim's had to do. Right, over the years, right. You you, know? you 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 would say it. Mm-hmm. I felt bad about it, and I called him. I called him at home. Oh, did you call
1: Mick? Yeah, yeah, I sure did. And
2: what, what did you? Say? He wasn't in at first, and uh, and then I said, when I called the second time he was out. And when I called the second time, I said, Mick, you, you really can't believe that I did that as a shoot. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. He said, well, I, I I wasn't sure. I said, I said, Mick, I was told by Eric through Annette, you know, to really shit on what you just done. And I, and I've got to do it. And, Mm -hmm. and I'm I'm sorry, but I would do it again if I'm told to do it again. Mm -hmm. So he said, okay, well, I, I, I appreciate the call. So, and he was upset and,
1: I don't know. Uh, it's weird to me, though. I mean, you know, I mean, some guys are more sensitive than others, right? You know, and to me, it would be like I would totally get that. You know, sure, right. It's just business is business. Yeah, you don't right. Really say it or mean it, you know? right? Because I mean, th- there was a lot of arrogance mm-hmm. at that time mm-hmm. with Eric, because that's when I think WCW beat WWE in the ratings, yeah, seventy weeks in a row or something like yeah, that, right? But when it switched, yeah, th- they never went back, right? You know, exactly. And that was just, you could see the, 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 the ball, right. the sea change. And when it switched, boom, like I said, it was done. Yeah. Wow. You know? I had a lot of power, didn't I? Mm-hmm. I did. <laughs>
2: were you in the, uh, I, I bring this up all the time because I know Eric ended up working for Vince.
1: Mm-hmm,
2: mm-hmm. Were you with us at the, at the target center? I never will forget where we were. Mm-hmm. And when Eric had that meeting in catering and said, he will not rest and he'll, until he puts a stake through Vince McMahon's heart.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: I remember him saying that, thinking, holy shit. This is really personal. And the fact that he said that and you know if you say that amongst the boys it's going to get out, right? It's not going to be quiet.
1: Yeah, but well, even so he said it as a as a team meeting. Right. There's exactly. 50 guys in the room. Exactly. Right. And then to see him on Vince's show just blew my mind. Yeah, it's funny too because I mean there's a lot of guys in WCW because it was such a, a crazy place. Um like I, you know, I basically left the same way that that you left to Mm -hmm. wcw to go to WWE years later Mm -hmm. where i was just like you know i'm you're offered a certain amount of money but i'm leaving anyways right and did not really get along with eric and when he first came into WWE, i was like holy shit like this asshole's got a lot of guts to come in here. Right. But then you get to know him, and Eric, outside of that WCW world, was actually a great guy. Yes. I really get along with him now. I like him a lot. Right. You know, and there's a lot of guys like that. For me, Booker T was like that. Scott Steiner, DDP, right. Big Show. These guys yeah. were just miserable. Right. So that attitude permeated over to to us. Exactly. And then you see them outside of it, and they're all just really sweet guys. right? You know? Yeah, so. I know. The working conditions weren't
2: good. Mm-hmm. They really weren't. And there was a lot of pressure on me and... A lot of pressure on us, and uh, so when I finally walked away from it, cold turkey,
1: yeah,
2: I, I really, really did. I mm-hmm. mean, I Scott Hudson called me, and Scott always knew the behind the scenes stuff. He called me and he said, Uh, I've got a tip that Eric Bischoff is going to be on Raw tonight. Mm-hmm. And I went, Huh, yeah. I got to turn this on, right? I turned it on and I saw him walk down. And shake Vince's hand
1: or whatever he did. He actually walked through a promo promo that Booker T was doing. Oh really? And Booker was another guy that wasn't a big fan and he's okay. Booker's doing a promo, and Eric just walks right through the shot. Okay. And he was like, I I don't think he said it, but I know the look on his face was, What the f yeah. <laughs> you know, right. what the hell's he doing here? Right. So I uh and I just turned it off. I said it's enough. Impact
2: or back in back in then TNA had me come and do a couple of heel things for them, mm. do a couple of heel promos for them. And this was Vince Russo wanted me to, uh, to work for them. Right. And this was probably, I don't know, 2001 or 2002, 2003. And I did like one show for them. And I told Vince, I said, Vince, I just can't do it anymore. I'm, I'm completely burned out of the business. Mm-hmm. And I completely walked away from it. I want to tell you how completely walked away from the business I was. I did not know about your success, your success, okay, mm-hmm. until... I don't know, last year. Really? Yes. Interesting, yeah. Interesting. When, when I put on the, I said, I'm going to watch WrestleMania 18, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and I saw the match with you in Triple H and I went, holy shit, he's in the main event in WrestleMania. And then I went back and watched, you know, when you beat Stone Cold in the Rock. Yeah, yeah, and I'm yeah. thinking, wow, that's a hell of a deal. <laughs> and I didn't even know what
1: happened. Right, right. Yeah, you just so didn't that,
2: watch it. So yeah, so that's, I was just completely removed from it. I mm-hmm. mean, I didn't, I, I didn't talk to anybody who was in the business. I just completely walked away from it what do you, Had a different life. Do you watch now or keep? Oh yeah. Keep, what do you but, think of the business now? Well, I, I think there's. Uh, I, I like some of the guys. I really, mm-hmm. really do. Just everybody fights everybody now. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense to you? Mm-hmm. I mean, you just you see, you know, Roman Reigns will fight. Let's say uh, I don't know. Roman Reigns, for instance, will fight Braun Strowman on a pay per view, and then you'll see him fight on a. In a you know fatal four way or something the very next night mm-hmm. on Nitro. I'm very old school. Is that you know you got to keep them special, You've got to keep them apart, and it just seems like everybody's well, just sped- so many
1: matches. Though like that started in the Monday Night Wars, where every match has to be somebody right. versus somebody, right. and the roster's only so big.
2: Right, and you run out of combinations. Yeah, that's right. And 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 I realize
1: guys that are truly over as right. well. Exactly it's a different thing too. So I
2: I, I kind of get lost in. I think a lot of those guys kind of get lost in the shuffle now. Mm-hmm. I don't. We, they got a lot of guys who can be big stars, but they're not big. stars. Stars, because they're fighting every. I mean, mm-hmm. like for instance, Kevin Owens, mm-hmm. just tremendous the stuff that he does. Yeah. But you know, I mean, I, if I I see him fight every time, every week on yeah. TV.
1: Well, it's like we said earlier, Hogan was never on TV on right. Saturday night, or exactly Superstars or whatever. Right. You, you it was it was you had to pay to see him, and it was a big event. Right. When you did, you know. Yeah. Uh, as we wind down here, who are some of the best performers that you that you've ever seen in the ring? Like that were your favorites to call the matches for. Well, uh, obviously, uh,
2: when I was just starting out, Ricky Steamboat was mm-hmm. one I really enjoyed. As a young guy just starting out in the business, I really enjoyed watching uh, the Midnight Express against the Rock and Roll Express. Mm-hmm. Those matches were were tremendous. And that was back in the day when you know Heat was legit, right? And Jim Cornette was a great heel manager. And, you know, one I, of the you know, best. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I really enjoyed I really enjoyed seeing their matches. Mm-hmm. Magnum T.A. had some great matches before, you know, before the accident. And I, I'm thinking old school that. Sure, sure. Yeah. But, you know, not just because you and I are sitting here, but the stuff that you did with Malenko. Oh, cool. yeah. Yeah. And so. and, with, and Eddie Guerrero and all that stuff. Man, it was it was it was great stuff that 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 turned us around, I think. I mean, mm. that really helped turn us around. The cruiserweights really meant something. You know. Yeah. And I don't don't watch 205
1: Live now, but I don't know if the cruiserweights mean as much as they used to. They don't. And and, and once again, you're dealing with cruiserweights in name only. Right. You know, you had guys that were... You know guys look like fighters right they look like wrestlers you know a guy like benoit was not a cruiserweight but he was in there with us all the time at right. 220 i was 225 pounds right so i'm i think the, the cruiserweight basically just meant uh you could wrestle guys that could work <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah right. guys right. that were doing this new kind of style right. that you exactly. hadn't seen before right you know coming in and being right. so smooth and so and the acrobatic within a guy like Rey mysterio who you'd never seen like a real life superhero right you know, and sure. that kind of really wowed the crowds. Yeah, you know, along with the star power. So, right. Uh, last question: Is there a match that stands out for you? That's that's the best match you've ever called. Oh, the best
2: match I've ever called. Yeah. Wow. Is there a couple? Well, the match that stands out for me was Hogan and Bossman in Madison Square oh, Garden yeah.
1: because it was there. Right. You know,
2: and and I I was I never seen a suplex from the top of yes. the cage before.
1: They're crazy with Bossman, who was six foot eight, right, right. and three hundred fifty yeah. pounds.
2: That's the one that kind of stands out to me mm-hmm. more than any. And I, I I get this problem on uh, on our podcast WHW Monday is that Conrad will ask me all these questions and Chris I did so much yeah it kind of you, you, you do I mean you realize that you just yeah. do so much and and fans remember some of these things yeah and we just did it so much stuff that it just kind of all blends in together the fan a fan was ask, asking me a question what did you think about the night the fan crawled uh, crawled up on the, in the cage. And came in the cage with Roddy Piper and Hogan. I'm thinking, I better rack that thing up and look at it because I don't <laughs> yeah, remember. Yeah, yeah.
1: So you uh, get those. I saw one on Twitter the other day. It's like you know this day in wrestling 16 years ago, and it was me and Kane. No, Kane and Triple H versus me and Kurt Angle, and it's a pretty big match. Yeah, I have no rec. I'm watching this match going. I have no memory of this whatsoever, and I am yeah. I remember a lot like right. I was never a drug guy my mind is really good but right. I was like I cannot remember a damn thing about this match and that's a main event on raw with yeah. these guys but yeah sure you just forget those things after I know a while, I know. know because it's you know it's a job to you yeah it's, it's well and plus there's so many of them yeah right. I'm sure that next night there was smackdown Then uh-huh. there's two days off then we're working somewhere else right you know it's like for you you're doing nitro then you're doing thunder and right then, you know you got to go over here and do the commentary on this and right. you know so I'll go back and i will uh, in the same vein
2: I was watching we did I don't know one of our last pay-per-views before we went out of business and uh, I had to go back and watch it because we were going to do a show on it Yeah, and Jason Jett walked out Mm -hmm. I have no idea who Jason Jett is god bless him you know he may have
1: been a great performer yeah. i don't remember him at all <laughs> right I don't remember i told comrades I, I have no idea who this
2: guy is <laughs> but i called his match
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay tony it's great uh, seeing you man Thanks, and uh, hopefully it won't be another 20 years before we see each other again it's great to connect with you and again
2: Congratulations on your career, buddy. Thank you, man. It's been a great one. It really has. And it's still going strong. Yeah. It is still going strong, man. Still going man. strong, man. Yeah, the, the stuff you did in Japan recently with Kenny Omega was absolutely wonderful. So Thank you. It thanks was a for blast. having me. It
1: Ski of Own. You got it, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks again to Tony Schiavone. Tony Ski It was great to catch up with him. I hadn't seen him in years. And you guys should subscribe to his podcast, What Happened When. Tony and Conrad break down the stories, the events, and talent from Tony's early days with Jim Crockett Promotions to his run at WCW. If you like uh, 83 Weeks that Conrad does their Bischoff or something to wrestle with Bruce, Bruce Prichard, go check out uh, What Happened When. You can subscribe for free at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your podcast. And Tony's also still calling games for the Gwinnett Stripers and doing some work for the Georgia Bulldogs. Follow him on Twitter at tonyshivani 24 If you can't spell it, neither can I. Go Google it. S-C-H-I-A-V-O-N-E Skiabone. Go check him out. And thanks to everyone who came out to see Fozzie on every date of the Judas Rising Worldwide Tour. 22 countries are somewhere in there. 19 months, about 180 gigs. We appreciate every single one of you came and rocked rock with us. We played our last show last night at the Gateway in Calgary. It was a great place to, uh, to finish up the tour in my former home city. Thanks Canada and the entire world for another great run. And now, time to go back to the studio. We'll see you next time. And we'll see you on Friday when Troma founder and filmmaker Lloyd Kaufman returns to Talk to Jericho. The creator of The Toxic Avenger will be here on Friday. Don't miss that one. Until then, stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yee